thing is with secrets comes isolation and i think it was jung who said that secrets alienate the possessor from the community and that is exactly what happens in tabi's case he's so involved in his own little world that he completely uh, loses track of what is happening in his community in the lives of the people around him Hello friends. Welcome to the last episode of the Open Book podcast series, where we bring you fascinating and important conversations prompted by local literature. I'm Fasti Karlitz, and I've been listening to these conversations with you. In today's episode, Gretchen Haley, Kanita Loxton, and Uvile Ngimba speak to Ephemia Chaler about complicated loves in their books. Konita is the author of the Being series, each about a different woman in a friend group. The most recent of which is Being Diane. Diane is a divorced mother who's been keeping her sexuality a secret until her daughter's experience of homophobia at school forces her to learn how to be herself in the world. Gretchen is an author and theater maker, and her debut novel that she's talking about in this episode is The Tea Room, which follows Tubby, the proprietor of the tea room. and also a man working on a master plan involving his enigmatic kitchen assistant. Finally, Avila's debut novel is Dreaming in Color about two girls in love, Kwesi and Langa, who are studying in Makanda during Fismas fall. They speak to Ephemia Chela, a writer and editor who you might remember from last week's episode Virtually Queer. Here's a conversation about love, identity and secrets in these three novels. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the thing about love. Here we have Vile Kimba, author of Dreaming in Color. Hi Vile, how are you doing? Hi Femia, I'm good, thanks and how are you? Good. Glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. We also have with us Gretchen Haley, author of The Tea Room. Hi Gretchen. Hi Femia. How are you doing? I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome. And finally we have Kanita Loxton, author of Being Diane. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So let's jump in. I want to start with a quote about love to frame our discussion. It comes from Bell Hooks's book All About Love New Visions, which I happened to be reading at the same time as all your other works. She writes, "The practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control." So let's start by talking a bit about love, which is something of a guiding force in all of your books. How did the idea of writing about love and these particular characters come to all of you? Maybe you could start with Kanita first. I think it didn't so much come to me as it just seemed like a natural place for my books and I'm I'm not sure if you choose what you write or if you just write what you choose. Um and so I didn't intend for the books to become about love, but it it started around friendship really. and then developed also into romantic kind of love but the the relationships are essentially between friends between parents and children and then between partners so i didn't set out to write about love the stories chose that route themselves it is very interesting that you kind of make that distinction between friendship and romantic love because i think that our society really values romantic love as the highest form of love but friendships can be just as deep and abiding Yes, I I do think that friendship does have a specific flavor of love. Um it is a relationship that needs work, that goes through ups and downs. It is for me as deep and meaningful as romantic love. This relationship between humans, it's a cornerstone of the being books. Um mm. yeah, it's I suppose it is all about love, but friendship is a very special uh, aspect of love that I like to look at. Mm, definitely. And Gretchen? Um like Carnita, you know, I didn't set out to to write about love. When I began, um you know, I suppose the essence of the story for me was this state of 
denial, I feel that um, many of us are very comfortable just settling in. Um, in Tubby's case, it manifests as planning and procrastination and all of that. But um, I think it's hard for love to not show up when writing anything because it is, you know, the most basic and I would say pivotal uh, human emotion. For Tubby, in terms of romantic relationships, he deals with several aspects of love. Initially, the idea of it, then the longing for it, then the fleeting bliss of having it, then the loss of it, and finally, in some way, the understanding of it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Tubby is um, quite an endearing character and he sort of fills his life with the tea room, which is the restaurant he runs. He is married, but um, love might be a little bit lacking in his marriage. Like, you know, many people are in relationships that formerly are supposed to be unions of love, but um, end up being a lot more complex. And then he has the secret, which we'll get to in a bit. Uvile, what about you? Um, I think it's been repeated by Kanita and Gretchen. It wasn't necessarily with the intention of writing something that's like a love story or anything of that sort. But I think in many ways it became that. And not just this love story between Kwezi and Ulanga, but rather a love story with Ulanga herself um, and her facing things that she she didn't even think she had, like memories she didn't have, repressed um, experiences and learning how to love herself through those things. So I think when you, when you write something, it's very difficult not to write about love because it's, it's like it's in everything. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's something that's very central to our existence. You know, when you're born, the first people you meet are your parents. And for a lot of people, their entire life is a journey towards loving themselves, like mm. their self-love. Um, is a source of like deep conflict and it, it makes for great writing as we see in all of your books. Um, interestingly, all your books also deal with secrets and how they affect your characters' lives deeply long before they are even exposed. And these are secrets from other people, but also secrets that they hold from themselves, you know, self-denial. Tubby in the tea room, like many men, has a, a big dream. Um, Diane has a secret lover whose gender may cause issues with her family and there's trauma in Langer's past that she hides from different people in her life who long to be close to her and also because of the way trauma works some secrets are hidden from herself. In the context of your characters do you guys think the secrets they're keeping help them or do they harm them? I think the truth is, is somewhere in between. <laughs> it's like somewhere in between there because in some ways, her repressing those feelings and keeping them a secret, even if she's not aware of them, um, helps her get to a particular point in her life. Like she's able to do the day-to-day -day and so on, right? She's able to function, um, which does serve its value. But in the same sense, it harms her because at some point, those feelings will come back and she'll have to deal with those parts of herself anyways. So... I can't say that it's, it's like a black and white harm, help kind of thing, but I think it's somewhere in between there that her truth is kind of lies, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you definitely see that in the book about how circumstances beyond her control cause these secrets to arise. And that's the thing about a secret, you know, sometimes hmm. secrets can end up controlling you, but you don't always have the control over them that you think you have. Mm. That's true. Gretchen? Mm. Ultimately, in the tea room, the secret causes harm. And I think it's probably that way because I feel generally in life it's that way too. Um, mm. You know, in Tubby's case, it's a rather delicious little secret that he's got and, you know, he's fully enveloped in it and all that. And there's definitely an allure in that. There's an escape. Um mm it gains a sort of primacy in that respect. But the thing is, with secrets comes isolation. Mm. And I feel like 
I think it was Jung who said that secrets alienate the possessor from the community. And that is exactly what happens in Tubby's case. He's so involved in his own little world that he completely loses track of what is happening in his community, in the, you know, in the lives of the people around him. Yeah, that's very true. And there's also kind of this ambiguity, you know, is he in love with love or is he in love with the secret? Because, I mean, it's a bit like affairs. Are people who are having an affair really in love with each other or are they in love with the secrecy, the danger, mm. the excitement? And then there's a certain way that secrets can come to possess you. And so all sorts of things are happening in the book and we as the reader kind of notice them, but Tubby's completely oblivious. He's so beholden. But at the same time, I wonder if that secret isn't also keeping him alive because mm. his life is so mundane. This fantasy of the secret does that as well. Yeah. Carnita, would you like to speak to this a bit? Yes, well, um, being in being Diane, Diane is, for all intents and purposes, quite an ordinary divorced mom of two. And her big secret that she hasn't revealed to her children or her husband or actually anyone outside of a small circle of friends is that she is bisexual and that she has had relationships with women in the past. And so what's happened since she's divorced is that she's entered into a relationship with a Tinder date, a, a woman on a Tinder date. And so they've had the secret relationship that she's revealed to her friends, to her three friends, but nobody outside of that world knows about it. And she's also kept this woman a secret. And I think it's, it's exactly as you say, it's the deliciousness of the secret. It's an alternate person that she can be, an alternate identity, one that she, where she is free of children and responsibilities and everything that is associated with her. So the secret for her is, is also a refuge. It's a way to be someone that she's not and to be herself. So it's, there's a conflict there that she is herself, but she is not within the secret. Mm. And so her dilemma comes when her 16-year-old daughter, who she thinks might be gay, experiences homophobia at school. Yeah. So it is then how she as a mother has to teach her daughter about having secrets and revealing her own secrets and the growth mm. that she goes throughout that process. And for me... I think as a parent, one of my lessons has been is that you don't know which lessons your children are going to teach you until it's right there in front of you. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens with Diane, is that she learns about revealing secrets and about mm. being herself. And she does that because as a parent, that's how she feels is the right way to support her, her teenager. So in Diane's instance, this the secret is liberating in a sense, mm. but also as a life experience within her role as a parent. So yes. the this, this secret fulfills many purposes, yeah. Yeah, and of course it's so interesting that her secret and her daughter's secret kind of mirror each other as well. Mm. Well, I think that was quite a, quite a nice conceit. I was wondering, if Vile, if you could read us a snippet of Dreaming in Colour so we could just get a sense of your writing, of your work from wherever you choose in the book and if you could just maybe foreground it a bit. Okay, I actually chose the opening section of the book, so it doesn't need any foregrounding at all. First dream. T. She was wearing a navy knee-length skirt that danced around her hips, and the yellow V-neck t-shirt complemented her dark skin. Tully, she had said I should call her. That was the first thing that had surprised me, how easy and light-hearted she was as if the yellow of her top infused itself into her mood. There were smiles all round. All broad smile and gleaming white teeth, she grinned down at me. Tea, Langa? It was one of those thickly hot days when it felt as if the sun was sitting on the living room sofa. The windows were open and a slight breeze brushed against the curtains back and forth. I had been airing my armpits slightly every few moments to let a breeze dry up the clamminess there. Steam rose from the spout of a teapot. Yes, at Lafsam Tima, I remembered her request. Tuli. A giggle tickled her throat and she smiled at me again. Her living room was a neat, generic space, white sofas, a red carpet and tinges of both colors matched in cushions and frames on the wall. 
The glass table was pristine and uncluttered. I noted the dedication to cleanliness. Tuli's daughter, Okwezi, was hidden in the armchair next to mine, curled up and quietly watching us both. So, what's this you want to talk to me about? Tuli asked, settling onto the sofa opposite Kwezi and myself. Her question reminded me of the many visits to therapy I'd made, an open-ended yet leading question. I glanced at Okwezi. She looked back at me as she shifted forward to the edge of her seat. I could see the question floating in her head, the fantasy of the moment, her tense jaws working against one another. We had rehearsed this conversation together for the past week, anticipating every possible reaction her mother Tuli might have to the question's answer. Driving to the house earlier, a street away, Kwezi had pulled onto the pavement. The car's engine had trembled beneath us, mimicking her nervousness. <sighs> Ask me again. Now, I glanced at Kwezi. Her eyes looked past mine into those of her mother. Everything was yellow, the sun washing through the windows, bouncing off surfaces onto our retinas. Tuli giggled once more, that light, infectious laugh. Ask you again? Kwezi nodded. Tuli repeated. What would you like to talk to me about? I melted back deep into my chair, nervous, trying to give them space, yet watching both of them closely. Mm. A very tense and portentous opening, I think. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Uvile. Thank you. And it's actually very handy that you read that past because it links very neatly to my next question. So Uvile and Kanita, both of your books feature women dealing with conflict between multiple roles. There's very much the pressure to be a straight daughter, a responsible daughter, a dutiful daughter for both Kwezi and Langa. And with Diane, there's the pressure to be a straight divorced mother and a good mother, especially because there has been a divorce and she's still trying to hold her family together. Could you speak a bit to how these characters deal with these expectations from other people and also their internalized expectations, perhaps with Uvile since you've just read? Oh, I think because it's, it's two very different uh, characters. Um, I think with Ulanga, actually with both of them, they tend to hold back from speaking and from um, airing out exactly how they're feeling, trying to gauge quite a lot where the other person is at in terms of what they have to say and, and putting other people first in terms of approaching whatever it is that they want to speak about. So I think that's a very big way that they deal with trying to meet certain standards. But also a distinction between the two of them is that Ulanga, she never quite actually tackles things even later on, but Ukwezi does come back to conversations. She does speak. She is more open. She is more receptive to speaking about her traumas and her difficulties, especially within the dynamic between her and her mother. But Ulanga is very closed off about tackling mm -hmm. those things. And she doesn't necessarily want to look at them, which is why it kind of builds and it becomes this explosive thing to the point where she can't mm. run away from it. And I actually did see those parallels because I read Kanita's book and I, I saw those, those parallels between the characters and particularly Diane and Rilanga because there's like this, I want to say something, but um, no, um, maybe it's the wrong thing. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe, I, uh, uh, okay, I won't deal with it now, maybe later on. And always trying to see if people will accept what's being said. Mm. So... That those yeah. are huge things, yeah. And you also hint to the pressures of being, particularly an African daughter in the book. You know, you talk about how there's all this conflict going on, but they still have to go to class because mm. the entire family's success is riding on them getting this degree. Um, and I think that was an, an important part of this book was linking and bringing together those experiences because it's, to be a person is not to be one dimensional. Like I can be so in love with, with the person, but be going through the most at the same time. I can have the difficulties and the pressure of, actually I'm 
at this varsity and this is an a huge opportunity for my family but i am not coping emotionally in terms of meeting classes and 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 things like that and i think it was about bringing those experiences together and like creating this complex character and and creating this complex person because those are the lived experiences of so many young black people young black women of having mental health issues and mental health difficulties and just not having the capacity to be like okay I'm going to sit down and I'm going I'm going to deal with them and cope with them. Mm. Yeah, that was very true to life. Carnita, how about Diane? Well, I think when I first started writing Diane, I pictured her or, or she came to me as quite an ordinary woman. And that's almost what I liked about her, is that she's the kind of woman that if she walked past you in the at, in the mall, you probably wouldn't give her another look. And I think for me she is like every woman possessed of multiple roles so she's a mother a daughter a friend a sister um a colleague she's all of those things that we all are and so i wanted her to be quite ordinary in that way but in the ordinariness mm. i wanted to show that we do all have a story and we do all have something that makes us different and unexpected and so that was how Diane came to me is that she she is any of us she is any woman and so there is a level of comfort in the different roles that she inhabits but mm. also like all of us or like most of us or maybe like me um there is a hesitancy to step out of what is expected and mm. what is known um expected not only of you by other people but expected by you of yourself and so she has a secret part of herself that she's not that sure about she's not sure what does it mean and so the comfort level is if i'm not that clear for myself what it is how do i bring that role or that difference in me out to my family and my friends and my ex-husband and my children so what i wanted to do with Diane was to take her through all these roles and to show a level of comfort with all the different parts of us whether it's one that you think is acceptable or not it is there and it is part of who you are so Diane isn't so much as kicking against her roles but needing to embrace all of her all of herself yeah so for me it wasn't um a rebellion against what she is or what she appears to be but a, a more embracing of the the silent bits that weren't that's not immediately obvious so you wouldn't immediately know that if you saw her in the mall kind of thing. Hmm. It's very interesting. I think that um there isn't a lot of bisexual representation in media particularly um books as well and I think it's interesting that you mention and in the book we see that she's not entirely sure about herself and um for the past 2 years I've been doing my master's research on bisexual women in Zambia. and um it's very interesting how that sexual identity is viewed by many people as not being a legitimate identity it's viewed as fence sitting or being indecisive and how people who have that identity then internalize that and they become unsure because everyone treats them like it's an uncertain sort of thing so it was very interesting to see that represented i felt that it was very accurate and i think especially in the romance genre where the expectation is that it's going to be a heterosexual relationship there'll be like a tall dark handsome man who will come in and sweep the main character off her feet it was a really nice twist i found i think i also wanted to lift that out in an older woman mm. i mean she is uh in her early 40s and i think she comes from a generation where it's more you have to pick an identity and so the part that her teenage daughter brings is the understanding of fluidity mm. and so it was those almost i want to say generational differences that i wanted to highlight not in not in an educational way but in an experiential so this is kind of what a previous generation would have had to deal with in the necessity for labeling and boxing themselves mm. where a, the newer generation perhaps feel more freedom in in not labeling and not being forced to pick a side as it were. Yeah, definitely. And there's also always that erasure, you know, people always assume that queer women 
bisexual women, lesbian women yeah. don't have children. So once you have children, it's assumed that you're heterosexual, and that's often not true for many people. Yeah. Yeah, so I found that very interesting. Um, I was wondering if we could hear from you, Gretchen, an excerpt of The Tea Room. Hmm, sure. There are lots of little bombs that go off in the tea room on Tubby's way to fulfilling his dream. And the bit that I've selected takes place after a very massive one and yet another one has just come. And the chapter is called um, Denial, Anger, Bargaining, Depression and Acceptance. On the evening of the 6th of October, my children and friends came to visit me with food. They didn't sit long. Nell stayed behind to wash the dishes and keep me company. Before she left that night, my daughter looked at me and I'll never forget what she said. She said, happy birthday, daddy. Sometimes even sitting still, I would feel a rocking to and fro as though I were on a small boat in the middle of the ocean. Sorrow will swallow you like the sea. A packed bag provides much closure. It seems to say I am leaving of my own accord. Moreover, a bag packed in secret makes its exit with the probability that it does not mean to return. On the basis of that bag, we all had to accept that she'd left us. She's gone was my disquieting mantra for weeks. By the end of the month, I realized the pointlessness of staying at home. One perfectly ordinary morning, I awoke at dawn, as I always used to do on work days, showered and got dressed, put on my grey cardigan, paged through the diary one last time. I didn't have the heart to throw it away, so I rolled it back up, went into my bedroom and put it in a drawer. There's no better time than 4 a.m. when the world around you is asleep to wake up to the truth. The walk to the tea room was a slow one. The banana tree where I used to do my planning shivered in the early morning wind and the wide green leaves waved at me. Not a hello, but a goodbye. I unlocked the tea room door and went inside. In many ways it looked the same, but I can't deny that some of the changes caused pains. I went to the hook and swapped my cardi for my apron. The water boiled and I made tea, one cup, just for myself, sat at the kitchen table. The empty chair across from me became its own entity and filled the room with silence. My eyes shifted quickly to my book. My latest novel was a bit of a plodder. I wondered what she would think of it. No, I told myself. Pulled out my bookmark and just before I started to read, I remembered. This is my life. This is what it is now. Acceptance was the hardest of them all. Thanks so much, Gresham. It's amazing to see how Tubby in the aftermath of all of this kind of comes to this realization that this is the way his life is going to look. It's kind of a tough pill to swallow, but I think it's something we have to grapple with um, at any age after a big blow. So thank you for sharing with us. Um, I have a question for Carnita and Avile. Um, I noticed in both of your books that recent events in the real world feature and take place alongside your invented characters and plot. So in Dreaming in Color, part of the action is devoted to the RU reference list unfolding at Rhodes University, where the book is set, and the ensuing student protests. Similarly, the COVID-19 pandemic, which we're still in, unfortunately, which is why we're not doing this in the book lounge, in a lovely event, in Cape Town altogether, um, features in Being Diane. Could you talk a bit about what it was like to weave contemporary events into your book and also why you decided to make that particular decision? Whichever of you would like to go first. I'll go. I I started writing Diane in 
the beginning of 2020. Oh, wow. So I'd been thinking about a story for a while, but I only started writing it in, in January. And mm-hmm. I had an idea of the story, and I, mostly I had an idea of the character, but I didn't have any idea really of how it was going to resolve or how the questions within the, how the novel was going to work out. And um, then COVID happened. And it was, I guess, as a writer, it was, well, not just as a writer, for all of us, it's an overwhelming, life-changing event. And I couldn't write Diane without making some kind of reference to it. It it seemed as if, even though I had this fictional world in my head going that was completely distinct from what was happening in real life, it was so overwhelmingly intrusive that it crept into my story. And so of the book... I would say that, um, maybe 5% of it is about COVID and it's right towards the end of the book. And it's quite pivotal in the sense that it, it leads Diane to make a decision. Um, and I think it was definitely my real world influencing my fantasy world. But I think that it's a, a situation that many people can relate to. It, uh, the world is in crisis and it forces you to reevaluate it forced Diane to reevaluate her own life. And so it it I think it was mostly in the timing that I was writing because it all happened at the same time as I was busy working on the story. And it it seemed impossible to ignore it completely. Yeah. Even though I wanted to be in the fantasy also all the time. Mm. So it was something completely unpredictable to me, just happening in real time. Mm. And do you feel that your creative writing process for this book changed because of the pandemic? Or do you think it was easier, harder, different, very much the same, since this is a series? Yeah. Uh, for, for me, the process of writing Being Diane was absolute, was a sanity. Uh, I was mm. struggling with lockdown. We had kids doing homeschooling and, you know, everything's different. And so the writing gave me a a space for myself. It gave me a discipline. It gave me a feeling of moving forward, even though nobody was moving anywhere. So it gave me, it was a comfort. Um, mm. And so in that sense, it was an absolute escape that I loved. The discipline wasn't hard at all. It was just, you know, sort of an hour or two in the dark before everybody wakes up that felt like it gave some kind of control over my world. Um, so for me, I very definitely credit that book with getting me through 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so try as much as I like. Writing. Yeah, I couldn't, um, mm. I couldn't ignore it completely, but, you know, most of it is not about COVID. Yeah, writing as a survival mechanism, I guess, yeah. during some of the difficult times. Yeah. And Uvile, what was it like? Um, I don't know if you were at Rhodes at the time, if you were involved in the protests and you drew on your personal experience for that part of the book. Um, yeah, it was definitely a lot. Um, I was at Rhodes at the time. So looking at the timeline of the book, there was no way that I could like just write a book about the student's experience and mm-hmm at UCA and not include an element of those protests because, I mean, there were many different protests and issues that came forward um, and that continued to come forward at institutions like UCA. It just fell right into the book. <laughs> like, it just came right in um, because it fit the themes that were, like, unraveling themselves in the book, dealing with self dealing with spaces, dealing with people, dealing with sexuality, um, rape culture, violence, you know, it literally was about all of those themes. But also in terms of looking at the different perspectives of that experience and of Are You Reference List and other protests that happened um, and seeing it from Langa, who experienced it in a particular way, and Kwezi, who also had a particular view of it and, and seeing where that fit into their dynamic, but also them as individuals. So it was like a, a huge and very important um, part of the book. Um, and I think they've been, you know, as someone who was a student during those protests, um, some of the representations that have been there in the media and in other spaces have negated the nuances of 
those protests and those spaces and how they affected people mm. completely differently. Um, and I, I thought it was it was important to portray those differences, that there were people who could not get out of bed because this was triggering them to the point where like it was difficult to function. And then there were people like Kwezi who were, you know, in the forefront, maybe more present mm. and other people in between, like right in between all of that, right, that were figuring things out for themselves. So yet again, like that segment of the book was literally feeding into this whole theme of figuring the self out. Mm. Um, and I couldn't not write it into the book. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't ignore it. There's a really amazing part in your book where um, one of your main characters is talking to the therapist and they're, they're you know, trying to explain to the therapist, you know, kind of the absurdity of sitting on a couch talking about your feelings when there's mm. a war going on outside and like, you know, how because of class, because of gender, you can't just talk away or express your feelings about something in a very confined space that only certain people have access to. Exactly. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, like dynamics like that, they show you how different our lived experiences are. Like we could literally be living in the same space and we just have completely different experiences of the exact same mm. thing. So it's, yeah, it's huge. Thank you for that. I have a couple of more questions, but before we get to those, I'd love to hear a bit of Being Diane from you, Carnita. Okay, cool. Um, I'm reading the very first chapter. I won't read the whole chapter. Okay. And if I go on too long, just shout at me. Um, it's titled Friday, Valentine's Again. And the reason for that is that in all the Being books, it starts around Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. And the intention is actually just to take the piss out of Valentine's Day a bit because there's so much expectation in commercial popular media about what happens on Valentine's Day. And so it is to poke fun at uh, that expectation and also the worst of the crises in each of these books start around Valentine's Mm. Day. So that's the story there. Chapter one. But why can't I see you tonight? You don't have the girls. I can drive to you if you've got to be at the shop tomorrow morning, Faye pushed, angry. It's not like the girls are across the garden with Alan tonight. Everyone is out. No one will see me, if that's what you're worried about. Her voice was loud in my ear, raised harder on the no. The phone already hot in my hand, even though we had only been talking for five minutes. Was it possible for a phone to heat up like that? It burned so much that I had to resist the impulse to throw it across my desk. No, don't jive. It's too far. Doesn't seem really worth it, I said, ignoring her comment comment that no one would see her, wincing at my words that it wasn't worth it. I hoped she didn't notice. I didn't want to go there. All we would do is watch TV and eat something on our laps, and you have work tomorrow too. Besides, I know you don't actually want to leave those doggies of yours. They'd never forgive you if you just upped and left them on Valentine's. I tried to make my voice light. Silence. I could tell Faye was holding her breath, deciding whether this was going to become a full-on fight. I already knew the answer. God, Diane, why do you have to be so uptight about the whole thing? Her words blew out of her mouth like the gale winds that could gust in each of our hometowns. Me in Bloberg and she in Nurtuk. Seaside towns an hour apart. Different in so many ways, but the same in ways of fighting the wind. Is it because it's flippin' Valentine's Day? Last week, the drive wasn't such an issue for you, and we didn't go anywhere then either. I'm tired of this thing you do, Diane. She said my name so that the two syllables were split far apart. I don't know what we are to each other. You really need to figure yourself the fuck out. It's not like I've got nothing better to do than to chase you down. There are people I could hang out with. Real friends. Other Tinder dates to swipe on. You need to make up your mind, she said. Come on, don't be like that. It is a nightmare for me to drive on a Friday night. I softened my voice, not to show my own irritation at her insistence. And I told you, Valentine's is a bit weird for me and my friends here. It's just something that we all want to pass. It's got nothing to do with you. The minute I said it, I knew the other truth that I wasn't telling. I didn't want to be alone with her on Valentine's, just in case it meant something to her. Just like that, Faye's bluster died, as it always did. Yeah, Faye said eventually. You did tell me, but you are still so weird. She sounded tired. I've known you now for, what, a year? 
and you haven't let me come to Bloberg. You always come here. Are you scared I'll tell someone that we met on Tinder? Don't worry. If they find out, I'll be sure to tell them it was a one-time hookup when you changed your Tinder settings that you've been fighting me off ever since, she said, an edge in her forced-out laugh. <laughs> Can't stop there. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing like a bit of a lover's quarrel <laughs> when love is supposed to be in the air Yes. in February. I love to hate Valentine's, or I hate to love Valentine's. <laughs> <laughs> um... Gretchen Nuvile, these are your debut works of fiction, if I'm not mistaken. And getting published is often a lifelong dream for writers. They think about it, they dream about it, they doodle about it, they plot and they scheme to try and get their names on their book. And I was wondering what the ride for you has been like in these kind of unconventional, unprecedented times. Um, and also, what's next for you? Yes, well, I've been writing for many years. And The Tea Room is, in fact, my first novel. And I wrote it 11 years ago. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. I've written four to date. Oh. But The Tea Room is the first one to be published. So, yes, I was very excited in the lead up to its publication, extremely. Uh, I still am, but I, I must say that... Um, Publishing has come with new experiences. You know, I was naive to some of the aspects of publishing. So it's it's been a learning curve, I'll, I'll tell you that much. It is a wild ride. Yeah. It really is. I'm an editor and I'm also a writer, so I'm the torturer and the right. torture victim as well. <laughs> I'm the torturer. So, and then I also do production yeah. and then I also yeah. do marketing and then I also do events. So... It's a it's it's a specialist field that no one knows anything about. Right. They just want to get this book out, and there's a whole range of mm. other things because it's a business, it's an industry, and Absolutely. you just don't know anything about it. Regular people are just living their lives, but underneath, publishing is going. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. And you know, marketing, which is such a huge aspect of of publishing, for me, that's a different thing to, to writing. And it's certainly a different skill. Look, I, I really, really admire those writers who who appear to do both with such ease. <laughs> um, it is not that easy for me, I, I must admit. I certainly feel more comfortable with the one than the other. But with publishing, you know, certainly the traditional way and you know, even in different ways that people publish now, there's other skills mm. that one must develop. So that's been the ride so far. Mm. And as for what's next, mm -hmm. the book I'd like to, the book of mine that I'd like to come out next is in fact a buildings roman. Oh. And it, it starts in 1986 and ends at the millennium. Cool. And my protagonist is a young girl who is, you know, we, we take the journey with her as she's figuring herself out and then also the country mm. uh, as it changes plays a prominent role. And so that's what's next, hopefully soon. Well, fingers crossed. We look forward to it. And I mean, 11 years of writing. How inspiring for all the listeners mm. who are writers themselves. Uvile? Yeah, it's been, it's been a very interesting process of writing this book. Very interesting and also very odd. I, I wrote this book and then some of the things that I wrote in the book happened. Like oh, I've, heard that, I've heard that happening to writers a couple of times, actually. It's like life imitating fiction. Yeah. Kind of weird, kind of spooky. Exactly. Very spooky stuff happening. Um, so I think right now I am dealing with the repercussions of the fact that this book is doing things to my life. That's <laughs> when I'm trying to cope because actually like I'm, I'm amidst, I'm living my book wow. at the moment. And it's taken a lot for me to admit that. Mm. Um, so a few weeks ago, I uh, broke up with my partner of like a while. Yeah. Sorry. 
It's no, it's like it's okay. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> but <laughs> no, 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 not congratulations. Okay. It's not like that kind of vibe. It's literally as Kwezi and Langa in the book, like this in between space. At the end, she like goes and she's still. You don't know if they're together or what's happening at the end of the book. Like, you actually don't know what's up. My life is happening as this book <laughs> has happened. Um, and that's not a spoiler, guys. You can definitely still go read the book. That <laughs> ending doesn't even tell you anything. But that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm dealing with the repercussions of this book. In many ways, someone once said to me, as, like, as an artist, actually not someone, I think this was me a few years ago. <laughs> I saw your theater. So I, you know, like theater, like you put so much work into like a theater mm. piece. And then it's like on for like a couple of runs. And then after that, you're like dealing with, okay, all of my heart and my soul mm. just, is just gone in like a couple of shows. Yeah. Uh, so I've always had this thing that like after finishing a project or finishing something, you just need to let it go into the world mm. a little bit. And I know like there's all the marketing and there's all of that stuff around it. And before the book was published, I was definitely like, yeah, I need to like market, like I'm going to contact everyone that I know. And, and that's important. But right now I'm in the space where I'm like, okay, I'm, this book needs to go and find its mm. people because they're definitely people that I, I think will receive this book, may find healing from the book, may find purpose in the book and may find themselves in this book. So I'm just that book go um, <laughs> do your thing it's been years like go do your thing, do your thing. <laughs> um and in terms of a, a, another project there is something that's been niggling me and it's it's annoying because actually it's been niggling me for months and then as it's been niggling me for months, like it's a project i know i, sh I should have already started writing now in the recent weeks this project has started to come to my life in the <laughs> physical realm. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to write it or if it's just going to happen to me. Pending. Okay. <laughs> well, you'll have to keep us posted. <laughs> Hopefully you've left some good advice for yourself in dreaming in colour for you to manage this whole situation. I hope so. I hope so. And Carnita, you're something of an old hand in this game. Are we going to get another installment in the Being series or do you have your eyes on something new? Could we have a hint, please? Uh, well, the, the Being series, I didn't intend for it to be a series. I started off with being Carrie and there were four friends and I thought I was just looking at the one friend, but each friend started shouting loudly and so now there are four of them. <laughs> and, you know, talking about life imitating art I, I understand that because i started off with being carrie it went to being lily being shelly being diane and the message in all of these books is that each of the characters face challenges but ultimately they learn how to be themselves in the world and so for me that journey has also been being myself i guess as a writer and coming to terms with that identity and also, as Gretchen said, there are things that you learn beyond writing. Mm. And so it's opened up a magnificent world of people that I would not otherwise have met and experiences and all of that. And so I understand how, how your, your life or your, your art can inform your own life in a sense. So for now, that's where the Being series will stop. I think these four women are a little bit tired. <laughs> there have been four of them in five, in five years. They need a break. But I have got an interesting project that I'm working on for next year. It was also born in lockdown. And I wrote, we, I co-wrote a novel with uh, Pamela Power, Amy Haydenrich, oh. and uh, Gail Schimmel. And it was su such a different process. You know, when, you, when you're writing by yourself, you're in control of everything mm. in your own brain, or you think you are, but, you know. And so we, what we did is we each took turns writing a chapter and at the end of a year, we had a manuscript that we wow. never really intended to have published. We didn't hope it would be published, but it was also very much a 2020 survival thing mm. because we were 
disappointed that we weren't going to do any of the festivals or any of that. Yeah. But uh, the short story is that it is going to be published next year Yay. by Pan Macmillan. Yeah. So that's hopefully in March it will come out. But it's it's. You know, I don't think there is such a thing as an old hand. I most definitely don't feel experienced in it. I'm as shocked by the by the requirements that's made of you outside of actually writing every now and then. You know, you want me to speak where and to say what. <laughs> so I learned that also all the time. Mm. And this newest work is definitely also stretched me mm. in ways that I hadn't anticipated. So... You know, who knows what comes beyond that. Hopefully lots more and my pen doesn't dry up. I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to Gretchen, Uvile, Carnita, and thank you to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Open Book Festival podcast. Many thanks to Quella Books, Pan Macmillan, Majaji Books, and of course, the Invaluable Book Lounge. Happy reading, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Ephemia, Carnita, Gretchen, and Uvile for making time for this episode. All of their excellent books are available at the Book Lounge. This was the last episode in this year's Open Book Podcast series. Thank you so much for coming along with us on this journey and for listening with us to these eight conversations. Though the series is now over, the episodes will be available on our website and on major podcasting apps indefinitely. So if you enjoyed an episode, please share it with a friend. We would love to hear from you. Let us know if you found an episode entertaining or if it made you think or carry on a conversation at home that started on the podcast. You can get in touch with me. My email address is fasti at openbookfestival.co.za or on any of our social media platforms. Thank you to everyone who participated in this series for the time and generosity and the patience with technical difficulties that come with remote recording and for these incredible conversations that I felt so privileged to listen to. Thank you to Frankie Murray, who put together the series with me, and to Mervyn Sloman for his inputs as well. A huge thank you to our phenomenal producer, Andrew Burnett, who has brought all of her dedication and skill to this project. And of course, to our sponsors, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture, and the Heinrich Buhl Foundation for making the series possible. The Heinrich Buhl Foundation has been actively promoting the consolidation of democracy and human rights, advancing gender equality, and taking action to prevent the destruction of the environment in Southern Africa since 1989. The Foundation's work in Southern Africa consists of four programs, democracy and social justice, human rights and gender justice, sustainable development, and international politics and dialogue. As always, I'm Fasti Karlitz, listening with you to the Open Book Podcast Series.